Joyful Banner Blazing, the title cut from Maria Dunn's new album. And Maria Dunn is on the line. Hi, Maria. Hi, Michael. How are you? Good. Welcome to WLRN. Now, you're in Canada. I am in Edmonton, Alberta. To satisfy mine, what's the difference between folk music in Canada and folk music in America? I don't really know what the difference (laughs) would be. Folk is a pretty broad term. I had a border guard ask me that once, which is kind of a longer question to answer than you would like to be waiting to get into a country. Canadian folk, I suppose, Canadiana instead of Americana, Americana. although, you know, we we would have some different influences maybe. For instance, in Cape Breton, you have such a, a strong... Um, Highland Scottish tradition there and still the Scottish Gaelic language being spoken um, and the step dancing and the amazing fiddle tradition. Uh, You have a very strong Irish, English and French traditions that have informed the Newfoundland music scene. Um, Out west here in Canada, it would be a little different as it is, you know, in the U.S. across from your eastern seaboard out to the west. I mean, you have cowboy music, cowboy stories, cowboy poetry influencing Western music. And now that we know more of our history, I'm on Treaty 6 territory here. Uh, Amiskwitsiwaskayakin is the Cree name for Edmonton. We are coming to grips uh, and acknowledging our colonial history and how much we have oppressed and silenced the voices of Indigenous people in Canada. So we are seeing a lot more music coming from those communities and being celebrated and being heard by a much broader swath of people across the folk music scene. And I think that's such an important and healthy thing that is happening now that uh, we're hearing voices from a group that has been traditionally oppressed and silenced. Hearing you talk, it sounds like Canadians have a much more respect for the diversity of music than America. We, we tend to commercialize it. I, I know you're, you were born in Scotland. Does that music influence you? Absolutely. Yes, it was Robbie Burns Day yesterday, and so I went on my minus 18 degrees Celsius walk with the big winter coat and sang uh, every Robbie Burns song I could think of. My family background is also Irish, going back a couple of generations. It's uh, pretty much Irish on both sides, although there's a little bit of Scottish Gaelic uh, names in the background. So that music is very close to my heart. That's what I heard growing up. My dad would play his guitar, my mom played the piano. We never had a family party in the house that didn't involve singing and people doing a party piece. Uh, 
I heard Cape Breton fiddler Natalie McMaster say on CBC Radio not too long ago, it was foreign to her the idea of going to a house party and not playing music. And so the first time that it happened, she said to the the person she was with, she said, what's the point? <laughs> um, so that's that's the tradition I grew up in as well, very much that when you gather, it's to sing and make music. That definitely in, informs how I feel about folk music and, and that it very much is a community thing. It's a sharing. You definitely have the performance aspect of it, but equally important is that more informal gathering, sharing songs, passing on traditional music and passing on, you know, having a place for new songs, having a place for learners and people to share that is not about having the most polished performance. I think those are equally important parts of folk music. Maria Dunn is on the line. Her new album album is called Joyful Banner Blazing. I played that song, and reading your notes, that song's about your aunt. Was she a musical person? She was. She loved to play the guitar. Froggy went a courtin'. She'll be coming around the mountain. That sort of, um, I guess, 1960s folk music. She worked for for all of her career with youth, uh, a Salesian nun. Um, her last 30 years of her vocation were in Bermondsey in London, UK. And with the community there, she built a daycare. She built, she had a youth groups going and she eventually had a community college so that people, youth in the community could get a, a degree in stay in their own community. So she did a tremendous amount of work. There's a line in Joyful Banner Blazing. It's very simple. You are loved. And for some reason, that has a lot of impact when you hear that. Yes, her full motto was, you are young, you are precious, you are loved. And so, of course, that had to go into a chorus celebrating her life and her work. She was also known as the Flying Nun, which... uh, you know, for anyone who has seen the artwork on the front of the album, uh, Jeff Sylvester from Edmonton did a beautiful depiction of that. Uh, she was known as the Flying Nun because she would ride around the community on her scooter and uh, meet with people in the community, get stuff happening. She'd go into the pubs and cajole people into donating. Uh, to the youth programs. And so the fact that the the album cover has this beautiful picture of her soaring above it all on a, on a scooter is just delightful. Your aunt was a nun. Are you religious? I was raised in a family that was very religious at the time. Not so much anymore. I would say I am very spiritual still, but that the practice I was raised in was a, a very devoutly Catholic family very involved in the church and very much uh, from a social justice perspective, that that was always a very important part. Maria, when you were in college, I read you were a folk DJ. Yes, that was like getting a degree in folk music. 13 years on the air at CGSR FM 88 at the University of Alberta Campus Community Station, they're still going strong. For me, it was just a wonderful way to connect with recorded folk music, but also to meet artists coming through town, to interview them, to get involved with the Southside Folk Club and the Edmonton Folk Festival. It just was a huge 
awakening for me. When did you decide to become a performer? I would say I I was playing folk music for fun in the late uh, 80s, early 90s, gathering with people again. Any social occasion involved guitars and songs. Uh, So a few fun projects came out of that. And my intention was never to make a try and make a living at playing folk music, but it just kind of evolved out of loving traditional music, loving all kinds of folk music. I remember early songs that we covered would be Richard Thompson, traditional Scottish and Irish folk song, uh, Elvis Costello, just whatever. And then gradually I started to write songs. I was doing a lot of walking. Uh, living in downtown Edmonton and walking across the river. It was about a a 30-minute walk uh, to the work I was doing at the University of Alberta at the time. And so the wheels just started turning as I was walking, as you do. And uh, that's kind of when I started to write things that I wasn't hearing already in music that I loved. So out of combining, you know, Indigo Girls and Proclaimers songs and then these voices that were coming to me, I started sneaking a couple of my songs into those fun folk band projects and seeing what the reaction was. And uh, in the, by about the mid-90s, I had, you know, half a dozen songs that I felt good about. And uh, I was invited uh, to be part of a project called the Christmas Carol Project, which ran for 20 years here in Edmonton, and we we toured to various parts in Western Canada. It was an Edmonton songwriter version of Dickens' A Christmas Carol, and I was asked to play the part of Tiny Tim Cratchit, being the most vertically efficient member of the cast. And uh, so I wrote a song inspired by the very few words that he says in Dickens' A Christmas Carol, God bless us, everyone. That changed a lot of my perspective. That project uh, brought me onto a stage and helped me connect with a lot more people in the, the music community and also taught me about the idea of taking on a character when you write a song. I was already doing a little bit of that, but uh, it just uh, kind of reaffirmed for me that that you can write some powerful stories if you take on someone's character. It's not necessarily you, and you share that story through song. So by the the late 90s, I left my research assistant job. I had had sort of worked my way from four days a week down to three days a week, and then kind of finished that last job uh, doing a few hours a week and uh, and going full time music wise. So that's a long rambling, you know, my DJ handle, Michael, was <laughs> Ramblin' Maria. And now you know why. Maria Dunn is on the line. It's interesting that you said that you could take on characters and, and write from that perspective. But the characters you take on are generally real live characters. Tell me about the song Heart in Hand. Renee Peavy was a young woman in 1986. She described her first day on the picket line at Gaynor's meatpacking plant to researcher Catherine Cole a few years ago 
We did a whole project called Packing Town, inspired by workers in Northeast Edmonton, not far from where I live, who worked in that meatpacking industry, which was very strong from the early 1900s through to the late 1980s, 1990s. And um, Renee and her co-workers had taken rollbacks two years earlier from the company owner, asking them to help him turn the company around to up production. Two years later, in the spring of 1986, they had done all that. The company was doing well. They knew it was making a profit. Rather than staying at the negotiating table with his workers, they saw ads in the newspaper for replacement workers. So there Renee was, a young woman, described absolutely beautifully what it felt like to be there on the picket line in June of 1986. Here's Maria Dunn, heart in hand. It's a bright June morning, beautiful day. Though it turned so ugly, I remember it that way. Till those buses started, like they'll never stop. Coming for to carry some poor fool to my job. Then like a seamless dance, where the partners glide. Money pulls in. 
Heart in Hand, Maria Dunn from her new album, Joyful Banner Blazing. Has Renee Peavy heard that song? She has. When we put that project together and a few of the other multimedia projects that we've done with a filmmaker friend of mine, Don Bozek, and historian Catherine Cole, and in this case, a community advocate from the area, Janice Melnichuk, we gathered folks who had worked at the meatpacking plants, folks from the community, anyone that they had interviewed for that project. They came initially to a workshop when I had maybe four of the songs written, and then they were invited back uh, about six months later when we felt we had more finished one hour show to share. So we definitely sought out feedback with all of the people that we spoke with and broader community members who were interested, who might've grown up in that community, who might've had a, a parent or themselves worked at the, the meat packing plants. So we had a couple of feedback loops. And so I had the wonderful opportunity to meet Renee at one of those and to get her approval. Well, first of all, I must tell you as a performer, you play in a lot of different situations, but there's quite a feeling when you're facing the person that you've seen their video, you've written a song inspired by what they've said, and they're sitting in the third row and you can see them taking in the performance for the first time. And so that is quite a special feeling. There's definitely a bit of pressure there and you, hope to goodness that what you are singing and how they are seeing their story interpreted by you and the the filmmaker and the historian that they are seeing that ring true does the song and the project make an impact on the industry well the industry is has really wound down i think there is still one independent uh meat packing plant there but uh you know, it's not a huge industry in Northeast Edmonton anymore. As far as it having an impact on the industry, I know that uh, United Food and Commercial Workers, who also saw the production, did hire us to come and perform for their current workers at a few conferences. And so it would influence them as far as um, how it might influence the industry now. I can't tell you if there's been a specific impact, but we have performed at, uh, we performed at Mayworks Labor Festival in Toronto and a number of different conferences and community events here in Alberta. So if it changes the industry now, I don't know because the meatpacking workers in Alberta now are concentrated down in Brooks, Alberta, in High River, Alberta. We would have to take the show. That's a great idea, Michael, <laughs> to take the show down to those workers and see how it rings true for them at this point. Do you get opposition, let's say, from management from these for these the work that you do? The focus of the Packingtown show, I mean, those plants are, are closed now. The work has gone away. It's been consolidated in these huge mega operations. I have a new song that I wrote this summer in response to the deaths of workers at Cargill packing in High River in Southern Alberta. And the uh, Occupation Health and Safety Alberta has made a decision that Cargill did not invite workers and workers representatives uh, into their safety meetings when they should have in March 
of 2020. And so we, we saw people calling for the plant to be shut down in early April and two workers who caught COVID died in April and May, Benito Quesada and Heap Bui, and also the father of one worker who was visiting from the Philippines and when international travel stopped was staying with his son uh, who worked at the plant. Uh, Armanda Salagay was his name. So I wrote a song that few people have heard. I'm going to try and get it out there after this album launch is done. And I'm sure there will be reaction because we need to hold these big operations to account on the, the safety measures that they were late in putting into place. Workers were still working elbow to elbow, side by side without the proper PPE. It will be really interesting to see what the ultimate fallout is. The company, I believe, is, is saying that they've done nothing wrong. Uh, whereas you have a very different perspective from the workers. Maria Dunn is on the line. It, it seems like your songwriting has a mission, and it, it brings to mind to me the, the problems we have in America. Our capital was just attacked by our residents, and it it seems to me there are a lot of unhappy people out there, and it's because they're not being heard, they're not being represented, and it seems like you're trying to reach the working class. Is, is that your mission? It's part of it. it. Part of it is to reach and sing for and um, respect the stories and reflect them back to workers. One of the biggest compliments I've ever had, and this would be with the GWG Piece by Piece project that came out on an album in 2012, was a woman younger than me, maybe 30s, 40s, coming up to me after a performance and saying, my mom worked in this garment factory. And now I appreciate even more the work that she did and what she did for our family. So to me, that is one of the biggest compliments when a worker or the relative of a worker is affirmed in the importance of what their parents or their loved one did. And so the same with Packing Town and with Heart in Hand, to have workers see themselves see their stories reflected back to them, I think is important in and of itself. And then beyond that, you're also wanting to reach those who have never worked in that industry, never appreciated it. They might've heard about the gainer's strike. They knew it was violent. That was the impression they got. But for them now to know the history or to know the perspective from one of the workers on that front line, I think is really important. Are you surprised that this information that you are singing about is not better known? We have so much information coming at us all the time. The Alberta Labor History Institute is an organization of volunteers, retired workers, labor activists, and they are trying to get that story more broadly out. And we do see it covered in some media. Uh, the Edmonton Journal did cover every single day of the gainer strike back in 1986. We have so much information coming at us all the time. Very often, I think people who haven't been involved in a strike themselves, they hear this vague headline, they hear the word union, they hear strike, they think they decide unions are a negative thing, that they're too much trouble, that they get just get in the way, that they're causing violence, 
etc. And what I would really like them to know is that 99.9% uh, .9 of union contracts are negotiated peacefully to ensure that workers or a public employer like a, a province or a city. So the huge majority of those contracts are negotiated peacefully and work continues peacefully. And the ones that we see are the ones that are disruptive and where something has happened and that process is broken down. So I want people to know the background. I want them to uh, understand more about workers' rights or place themselves in the shoes of that person. Maria Dunn's new album, Joyful Banner Blazing. Tell me about Waltzing with the Angels. Ah, I was invited to write this song by Métis leader and Indigenous rights activist Muriel Stanley Venn here in Alberta and again with the Alberta Labour History Institute. She gathered interviews. She interviewed these fellows who are now in their 70s, who when they were teenagers, some of them still in their late teens, early 20s, were the iron workers. They were a Métis crew and they helped build our first high rise here in Edmonton in the mid 60s. A bit late for some of you folks on the Eastern seaboard. They were the iron workers on this building and uh, Muriel was very enthusiastic to share the stories and share the interviews of these men. And so I saw her at a Sisters in Spirit March and she said to me, Maria, you have to write a song about these fellas. We just interviewed them. They the work that they did was dangerous, but they were good at it. They were fast. They talked about their work as waltzing with the angels. Here's Maria Dunn. If you pause upon the pavement and crane your neck to see That walked along with me As I stepped down on those high beams My sidewalk in the sky The city far below me Sunshine in my eyes We were strong at seventeen
winds that whip away your breath. You put it from your mind, 'cause it's not your date with death. And to all our fallen brothers who join that angel band, your courage so betrayed by laws that failed the working man. So pause upon. Waltzing with the Angels from Maria Dunn's new album, Joyful Banner Blazing. Maria Dunn is on the line. So how has the pandemic affected you? Oh, it's just fed into my uh, introversion. <laughs> Obviously, as a touring performer, that has shut down completely. So I did have a tour in the UK and what would have also been in the Netherlands, in the fall canceled. I had my initial album release concert slated for May 31st, 2020, which was going to be a big celebration with everyone who had been in the studio with us at some point. I would have invited them all to come on stage with us at Festival Place Theatre and we would have had a, a grand old time. So all of that has shut down. So things are constantly moving now and um, how are you there surviving? Are, how are you surviving? How am I surviving? Oh, yes. Well, when this shutdown happened, I had just done a couple of intense months of work, so I was good for a little while. Uh, and then when um, things that had definitely been on the schedule were being canceled, I was uh, able to avail myself of the Canadian government's uh, CERB program for people whose income was completely lost. So that tided me over a couple of months. And then our Edmonton Arts Council, a municipal arts council, turned all of their travel funding allotment, since we could no longer travel, they turned that fairly quickly around to a creator's reserve grant, which I applied for with a fellow songwriter from Edmonton, Stephanie Harp, who is uh, an activist and spokesperson for the missing and murdered Indigenous women here in Canada and she and I had been she and I worked on writing songs we're still working on writing songs but the actual period of the grant lasted tided us through uh, several months so that was great and then a pal of mine going back to the Christmas Carol project John Armstrong the brains behind that whole Dickens project uh, started doing front porch outside fairly impromptu concerts in the late summer and fall. So I did a bunch of impromptu local shows, safely distanced and people wearing masks and outdoors and weather dependent. So that uh, that's kind of got me through uh, the year. And then uh, there's just this that once I decided that I could not control when the album release concert was actually going to be. Again, we thought January 31st would be the replacement date. That's not going to happen. Um, but as I've been, I decided 
I'm going to launch the album digitally on CD in record stores and by mail order from my website, mariadunn.com. I can control that date. And in Robbie Burns' words, the best laid schemes, oh mice and men gang aft a glay. Um, at least this little piece has helped me focus. And um, actually, I have been very busy getting the word out with uh, wonderful support of folks like yourself um, and on the new album and just celebrating the music wafting across the airwaves. And when we can celebrate with a live concert, it may not be that huge group of musicians. Uh, I think we're going to keep the initial performances, the trio which is Shannon Johnson, uh, who produced the album, did a beautiful job of producing Joyful Banner Blazing, and her brother Jeremiah McDade, who arranged the horns on a couple of tracks and is a wonderful whistle player as well. And so just to keep that ensemble smaller and a bit more flexible, yeah. Maria Dunn, your, your new album is just gorgeous, both aesthetically and, and aud audibly. Uh, Joyful Banner Blazing, it it's all it all seems important. It's it's not some silly songs that you could find some words to rhyme, but it's important and you address issues that we should all uh, confront. I'm going to end with uh I guess uh, uh, not one of the most important songs that you've written, but tell me why you wrote Beautiful Fools. I just came home from a beautiful evening of informal song sharing with friends. There were wrong chords, there were guitars out of tune, there were people forgetting the words, there were people nervously sharing a song for the first time. And I came home with my heart full, thinking back to those days when, in my teens and early 20s, when being cool maybe was too important to me and thinking in contrast that when you reach your 50s, you're less concerned with cool and more concerned with vulnerability, with being open, with being loving and kind with your friends. And that's where this song came from. Maria Dunn, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. Thank you, Michael. We are all that girl on the bicycle Wobbles and scrapes her knee Leaping back in the saddle She learns to soar Then crashes singing I'm free We are all beautiful fools We are all that boy running swiftly Who tumbles head over heels He picks himself up propels himself on then dives to see how it feels we are all beautiful fools beautiful beautiful fools i'm a fool you're a fool we are all beautiful fools beautiful beautiful fools we are all absorbed in the details like children constructing in sand, mesmerized by the antics of spiders, intent in our wonderland. We are all naked as truth, though we cover ourselves by degrees, shiny layer 
colors of fabric and manners so fine adventures artifice deeds we are all beautiful fools beautiful beautiful fools i'm a fool you're a fool we are all beautiful fools beautiful beautiful fools we are all tempted to stray by the flask or the flash or the flesh we are all your wisest advisor we are all emotional wrecks we are all one at the heart for all of our polish and pride so simply we long to be loved for who we are inside we are all beautiful fools beautiful beautiful fools i'm a fool you're a fool we are all beautiful fools beautiful beautiful